In the last episode, episode 69, I offered reasons why we should care about Ukraine, why we should support that country in its resistance to and prevail against the Russian invasion. But that's only part of the story. In this episode, I'll address reasons not to support Ukraine in its defense against Putin's special military operation. Welcome to episode 70 of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, retired U.S. Cavalry Colonel and former instructor or current faculty at several of our military education institutions. These podcasts introduce enduring lessons of war, ancient concepts that are still found in modern warfare. I believe that these concepts are important for every citizen to understand in exercising their role in our country's deliberations about war, peace, and everything in between. Now, these episodes aren't monetized or sponsored. I suppose the plus side of that is I don't have to worry about being demonetized for saying something someone takes issue with. But if you'd like these episodes to continue, if you think that these are worthwhile, then please don't hesitate to hit like and let me know. War is actually more the choice of the defender rather than the aggressor. The conqueror, as Clausewitz wrote, is always peace-loving. He would very much like to move into our country peacefully. To prevent this, we must choose war. So, if Clausewitz is right, one could say that it was not Putin's choice that his special military operation turned into a war. That was the choice of the Ukrainian people. That choice, however, was the only alternative open to Ukraine to maintain its independence and avoid the evils of foreign occupation. But why does that affect us here in America or other nations? What follows are some of what I think are the most pertinent reasons for staying out of the war in Ukraine. I'll begin with the claim that the war is our fault, that we provoked Russia by encouraging Ukraine to join NATO. Now, this argument states that the expansion of NATO poses an existential threat to Russia. Like the Soviet Union before it, Russia perceives itself as being surrounded by enemies. Putin believed that its special military operation was the only option open to it to forestall this threat. As Putin said in his declaration of his special military operation, quote, if Ukraine was to join NATO, it would serve as a direct threat to the security of Russia, unquote. Further, Russian leaders and its defenders maintained that NATO agreed not to expand eastward after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Despite these claimed assurances, NATO continued to expand eastward to include the former Russian Empire territories of Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. Russia's legitimate self-defense interest, it's argued, would not tolerate adding Ukraine to what Putin has described as an anti-Russia alliance. Therefore, following this line of logic, Russia is jus ad bellum, or just in going to war, and we should stay out of it. Like any contentious issue, there are certain similarities to objective truth in this claim. When Germany was reunified in what was called the 4 plus 2 agreement for World War II Allied powers and the two Germanys, the Western Allies in Germany agreed that NATO troops would not be stationed in the former East Germany. That agreement coupled with verbal discussions among diplomats and some public statements by NATO foreign ministers, led the Russian leaders to believe that NATO agreed not to expand eastward. However, that was never made part of any agreement with NATO, 
and since 1949, NATO's charter has always been open to any country that wished to join. Despite Putin's declaration that NATO membership would threaten Russia, Ukraine had not joined NATO, nor even been invited to join NATO at the time of the Russian invasion. Now, even if his fear was a just cause for invading Ukraine, Russia should have first made those fears clear to the UN Security Council or General Assembly, both of which exist to resolve such issues and avoid war. He did not. Another justification for the war were Putin's claims of genocide of the Russian-speaking population of Ukraine. Russia did make such claims to the Organization of Security Cooperation in Europe, the OSCE. The OSCE special mission to Ukraine investigated these claims and found them unsubstantiated. In the days following the invasion, Ukraine filed a complaint against Russia before the International Court of Justice under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. Now, this court has jurisdiction over disputes involving that convention. Among other claims, Ukraine was seeking relief for unjustified accusations leveled against it by Russia. Another reason given for withholding support for Ukraine are the allegations that Ukraine is corrupt and undemocratic. Now, this directly attacks statements made by the American president and others that we must defend Ukraine because we must defend democracy. If, contrary to President Biden's assertion, Ukraine is undemocratic and corrupt, then why should we help it? Now, again, there is some truth in this argument too, and I'll admit a whole lot of truth here. Ukraine does have a high level of corruption. An anti-corruption platform is what got Zelensky elected. He made some progress, but Ukraine is still the second most corrupt nation in Europe, after Russia. Under Zelensky and the pressure of war, the Ukrainian government has also taken some steps away from democratic governance to the point of canceling presidential elections until the war ends. Now, this sounds pretty bad, but in point of fact, canceling the elections is actually demanded by the Ukrainian constitution while the country is under martial law. Of course, martial law is itself undemocratic, but it's not unreasonable when the country is under attack throughout its breadth and depth. I believe that the proper response to this reason for withholding assistance is, so what? As argued in the previous episode, we should help Ukraine because the invasion is a threat to peace and security throughout Europe, and particularly to all the countries that were formerly and forcibly incorporated into the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union. Democracy has little to do with it just as democracy had nothing to do with the tremendous military and financial assistance we provided to the Soviet Union during World War II. Regarding corruption, concern to limit corruption must, I firmly believe, be part of any assistance program. According to meetings that I've been part of, anti-corruption assistance from the United States is welcomed and even requested by Kiev. Yet another argument for staying out of this conflict is that Ukraine is really just a breakaway province of Russia, historically part of the Russian Empire. We shouldn't get involved in what is, for all practical purposes, a civil war. The history of Ukraine is complex, involving the Greeks, the Mongols, Lithuanians, Poles, the Ottoman Empire, and Russia. For centuries, much of what is now Ukraine was ruled by Poland only becoming part of the Russian Empire in 1783 when Poland was dismembered and largely incorporated into the Russian Empire. 
Following the First World War, Ukraine fought a war for its independence from Soviet Russia, achieving a short-lived independence. When it again fell under Moscow's control, Ukrainian resistance to the Soviet rule resumed, and during World War II, they fought against both communist and Nazi occupiers. This war for independence resumed at the end of World War II and lasted for 12 years until finally being suppressed in the late 1950s. Throughout all this time, the Ukrainian people struggled to retain the Ukrainian language, art, and religious practices. Ukraine finally achieved its independence with the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. Ukraine fought for its independence through much of its association with Moscow, and this fight continues in partisan warfare in the Russian-occupied areas of Donetsk and Luhansk, resistance which includes members of the Russian-speaking population in those areas. Ukraine is only Russia in the perception of Vladimir Putin and some Russian nationalists. Perhaps the most critical concern is that our support, and really any Ukrainian victory, could push Russia into using nuclear weapons. The argument is that Russian leadership could perceive military defeat in Ukraine as a direct threat to the continued existence of the Russian state. Russian military doctrine allows for the use of nuclear weapons, quote, when the very existence of the state is put under threat, unquote. The question is what action could drive the perception that such an existential threat exists? Putin may so identify himself with the Russian state as to believe that his losing power is tantamount to such a threat to Russia. Fortunately, it's not Putin who controls the launch codes, but the Russian general staff. Therefore, the general staff must agree with Putin's perception. It could very well be that Putin can so control the general staff as to convince them to take that step, but it does offer some hope that rationality may prevail should Putin become completely irrational. There is some more serious concern, however, that limited use of nuclear weapons, such as one or more so-called tactical nuclear weapons, could be used as a means to quickly end resistance in Ukraine. Russian doctrine refers to this as, and I'm not kidding, escalation to de-escalate. What would the U.S. or NATO do in the event that Russia used a small or even a so-called clean nuclear device in Ukraine? The question should really be, what can the U.S., its nuclear allies, or the rest of NATO do to dissuade Russia from taking such an action? Threatened or actual nuclear counterstrike on behalf of a non-NATO partner is probably not the most prudent approach. I might speculate here that withdrawing our active support to Ukraine's defense might not remove such a threat. Without concern of NATO response, continued successful resistance by the Ukrainian armed forces and its people, using all means necessary and at hand, could make such an escalation to de-escalate more likely. One last reason that I'll address here is that our assistance to Ukraine is seriously harming our own country. We are spending money we don't have, increasing debt to ourselves, our children, and grandchildren. The munitions we send deplete our own ability to defend the United States and its vital national interests. Should war come elsewhere, we will not have the means to defend those interests. Manufacturing replacement systems and ammunition will only increase our unsustainable debts. This is a serious concern. 
I won't say that money sent to Ukraine is money that could be spent to alleviate poverty, homelessness, and promote economic development here at home. It never seems to work that way. It is, however, money that is adding to our debt, increasing inflation, and generally harming our own economic well-being. The military equipment being sent is affecting our own readiness. And Ukraine keeps asking for more. I believe this is the most serious of all of the reasons for drawing back from Ukraine. I do not believe that justifies in not doing everything we can to assist Ukraine in prevailing in a just war against an unjust aggressor. But I do believe that this consideration must drive how we provide that assistance. All of these reasons for withdrawing support to Ukraine have merit. Considering each of them must shape our strategy for assisting Ukraine and bringing about a just and lasting peace. Now I have my own thoughts about what we can do. What I think, however, is less important than the conclusions you draw and how you should participate in our country's deliberations about the ancient art of modern warfare. I am sending this from the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle Barracks, Pennsylvania. Join me next time for a conversation about a program that brings civilians here from across the country to participate in seminar discussions about the complex, uncertain, vague, and ambiguous challenges we face. So hit like and join me again for the next episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare.